Hello and what's this week's Sports Zone on Salford City Radio. I'm Rob Parkson and I'm here talking all things sport in Salford. Joining me the show this week, as ever, we've got James Sweetenham. James, looking forward to talking all things sport in Salford and beyond. I most certainly am, Rob. It's always a pleasure to be joined by your good self. We've got so much coming up today, from the rugby to the football to the boxing. But firstly, we have two interviews. And first things first, if anybody's a fan of the in-betweeners, this will be an absolute cracker for them. I spoke to Blake Harrison, who played Neil on the show, a fantastic actor, but now he's moved away from that sphere. Still working in it partially, but he's got a massive passion for the world of mixed martial arts. He started a podcast. I spoke to him all about it. And of course, I also asked him an in-betweeners question. So stay tuned to the end to hear it. But without further ado, this is Mr. Blake Harrison. Right, okay. I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by in-betweeners legend, MMA aficionado, Mr. Blake Harrison. You've got a brand new studio for your podcast. It looks a million dollars. I want to get onto that. But first things first, we've got to talk about the episode you've just done with Michael Venom Page. You've made us all laugh on the in-betweeners. You've done more serious roles in your career. But I reckon there's a new role for you because I think you do a fantastic Sherlock Holmes. The way you were questioning him, the way you had the light in his face on that UFC interrogation. Honestly, it was like watching a prime Ant Middleton on SES Who Dares Wins interrogating one of his recruits. Could you tell me all about this process? Uh, well, I mean, to be honest, we just came up, we just tried to come up with a funny way of trying to ask the same question he's probably been asked for the last six months, which is, are you going to the UFC? But the, the beautiful thing about it was that Michael was just just so good natured about it all, so friendly, generous with his time, took the joke really, really well. Like when you're dealing with a, a fighter, someone that could literally kill you with their bare hands and they're sat and not <laughs> from you and you're mucking about shining lights in their eyes and slightly shouting at them and all this kind of stuff. You think the wrong kind of person could take that the wrong way, get quite annoyed with you and, you know, it, it will lead to a bit of an altercation or, or at least a kind of verbal kind of heated debate about what's going on or whatever but Michael was so nice and he was so chilled and he just took it all in his stride and he was even having jokes with it himself talking about looking at his lawyer and pleading the fifth and all that kind of stuff like it was so it was it was really really good fun to, to do that with Michael he was like the perfect first guest for us to have on not just because he was um such a great personality but also because you know people are very interested in what's going on with the future of his career he's arguably the most exciting fighter the UK has ever produced in MMA you know one of the best highlight reels that, that could stand up to anyone's highlight reel I, I think globally and uh, you know he's he's a Londoner he's, he's a UK boy and it's it's really nice to 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 meet him and and, and chat with him and realize that you know, he's not just this flashy, brash kind of fighter with these viral celebrations and all that stuff. He's actually really down to earth, chilled out, lovely bloke as well. It's amazing. And I think it's a testament to how good an interviewer you are, because you can do these fun things with Michael Venom Page. But then on the other end of the scale, I remember when you had Michael Bisping on, you had him telling this fantastic story, almost, well, I say fantastic. It was almost like a horror movie. This guy yeah. breaks into his house. <laughs> This true story, by the way, obviously, breaks into his house in a mask, pours petrol over his house. And I don't want to ruin the, this whole story. People need to go and yeah. go and watch the episode. But what's it like hearing stories like this? And is there any others that particularly stand out where you've just been open mouthed hearing it? 
Oh, there's probably been a few. We've done so many interviews now. It's probably hard to uh, to kind of really pick up on, uh, like remember all of them and stuff. But um, but Michael's interview was fantastic. I mean, I read his book, The Quitters Never Win book. And so I knew of the story and I thought like we had to get that on the show. I mean, just what some of these fighters go through uh, in their lives to lead them to a place where they're willing to step into a cage and, and, and fight another human being for a paycheck. Some of what um, some of what they've been through is 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 crazy. I mean, it, it is kind of movie worthy. I mean, you've only have to look at someone like the 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 best kind of biopic that that hasn't been made yet for my money is Francis Ngannou. I mean, look at what that guy has been through in his life. Sandmines of of Cameroon making that illegal crossing over to um, Italy in a, a dinghy. I think he tried it multiple times, nearly died. He's got scars from the barbed wire that he climbed over on his body. Is in prison for a little bit uh, because that's where they detained those, those uh, illegal immigrants. And then he boards a train to Paris, gets there, is homeless. And then five years later, he's the UFC heavyweight champion of the world. I mean, it, it, if, you, if you just read that in a script, you'd go, this is not believable. But it really happens to these fighters. And Michael Bisming, to win a world title with one eye because Vitor Belfort detached his retina uh, and Belfort was was on all the steroids, you know, all that kind of stuff as well. So, you know, it is it, these fighters are, have had very unique lives. And I think it's really an amazing thing to highlight the trials and tribulations of their lives. But also what I, I love about it is you get some fighters like Kenny Florian or Corey Sandhagen that are like, the sons of doctors and have done psychology degrees and are incredibly intelligent, well-educated men and obviously women in the sport as well. And they're still doing it as well because they love to compete. You know, it's, it's such a, a, a unique blend of characters. And, and also none of them have like media training or anything like with a lot of other top sports where you're just going to get the, oh, it was a game of two halves and oh, we do it as a team kind of like really basic answers that you can get from everyone. These guys and girls, they just kind of, they speak from the heart and it makes the interview so much more captivating, I think. I completely agree with you because all these stories, all these fighters have completely different backgrounds from the people like Francis Ngannou to others like TJ Dillashaw who've come from completely different routes. Yeah. Some have struggled, other are academics and almost use fighting as an intellectual practice, an art form, if you will. I'd like to delve a little bit deeper into your personal background. Did it start with Conor McGregor? Did it start with watching The Ultimate Fighter back in the days when it was on Spike? Where does it start for you? Yeah, so I, I remember the Ultimate, uh, the UFC, sorry, being on uh, Bravo uh, back <laughs> in the day. And uh, for a very long time, uh, if there was ever an opportunity for me or my brother to sneak up behind the other one, grab them in like a body lock and shout Matt Hughes and then try and slam them to the ground. <laughs> we would do it. That's what we thought was fun. Um, and uh, yeah, but, but I wasn't like a hardcore fan. I was just, I would dip a toe in Chuck Liddell, Tito Ortiz, bits like that. And then there was a series of um, the ultimate fighter uh, that was Chael Sonnen against John Jones. It was also the series that Uriah Hall and Kelvin Gastelum were uh, uh, parts of the teams in the ultimate fighter. And uh, that just got me super hooked and sucked in. And timing wise worked out perfect because that was when Connor just started his rise as well. And it was around that moment that, uh, that I just got really into it and was watching it pretty much every week and just constantly going in on it. And then, uh, yeah, I don't know. It just it sort of became an obsession for me. Like so for the last like, I don't know, five or six years now. 
my podcast of choice would always be MMA podcasts. I'd be listening to Ariel Helwani, MMA fighting and uh, severe MMA with Sean Sheehan and, and people like that. And uh, that would be my thing that I would get on the train and listen to or work out to and something like that. And then I uh, did Stu Whiffin's uh, podcast, which is a music-based podcast. And we did a 45-minute chat about music, somehow stumbled onto MMA and spoke for well over an hour about it and realised neither of us had a friend that enjoyed MMA as much as we did. And in each other, we saw sort of, I suppose, a bit of a kindred spirit in terms of their like love of MMA. And because Stu's got like a lot of podcasts and he knows what he's doing with podcasts, it was the pandemic as well, so there wasn't much work on for me. Um, so we just kind of went, well, let's give this a go. And, you know, two years later, we've now got this amazing studio. We've interviewed UFC world champions, former world champions, the the best you know, kind of British athletes uh, in, in, in the MMA world. And, you know, it's, it's, it's been a phenomenal kind of couple of years, really. I mean, you've got this studio now. As I mentioned before, it looks fantastic. What's the goal for the show going forward? What's the goal? That's a great question. Me and Stu are not very business savvy. <laughs> so really what we should be doing is sitting down and having meetings where we're like, what's our five-year plan? What's our goal for this? And all like that. But the truth be told, me and Stu are just kind of like, oh, there's a cracking card this weekend. Should we do an episode about it? Like, yeah, go on then. Oh, I've just been in touch with so-and-so from the UFC. Should we get them on? Yeah, go on then. There's not really much of a plan to do it all. We really are. like, We're not journalists. We are just two fans that love the sport so passionately and are really enjoying talking to fighters, talking about fights. You know, we've the, the, the card this weekend, I don't know when this interview is going to go out, but we've got UFC Austin coming up in a couple of days. We've done a preview to that because it's such a stacked card. And there's a lot of casual fans that maybe don't know a lot of the names on the card, but trust me, there's some phenomenal fighters on this card. And then we'll do a post-fight show on Monday or Tuesday or whatever it'll be. And we'll get that out there, talking about all the events that have transpired on, on Saturday night. Uh, and then we'll try and throw in a few interviews as well. So, yeah, goals, we probably should have them, but we don't. Uh, we're, just, we're just enjoying it. And that is the main thing for us at the moment. We want to enjoy ourselves and, and have fun doing this. I mean, you call yourself an MMA fan, which is fantastic. You're obviously so enthusiastic about this sport. And I think the pinnacle for MMA media is asking a question at UFC press conference, something I'd love to do one day, and we all enjoy watching yeah. them. And then suddenly, I was watching one, you popped up, you asked a question, <laughs> tell me about that experience. I was a bit nervous, which is weird. You know, I've been on stage in front of hundreds of people or, or whatever, and, and, you know, you've been at events where there's, uh, I mean, I did that soccer aid thing where there's like 80,000 people watching you play football, and I've never been particularly good at football, if I'm honest. <laughs> uh, but there was something nervous about it because I suppose it was there's an element of wanting to prove to everyone around you that, you know, you know what you're talking about and you belong. But equally, you know, you want to do that thing of paying your, your dues. You don't want to be just getting like special treatment because you're that actor off the telly. But equally, you feel like the MMA kind of media world is a real eclectic mix of people. There's some people that are journalists and have been following the sport for a young long time and um you know that they, they've they've paid their dues and they're doing it the right way and then there's other people in the mma media space that are all about what's the clickbait story of the day what is you know something that's truth be told quite offensive 
and maybe a bit backwards in its uh, kind of where it should be in our society in 2023. Uh, and they'll run with that because they know it will get clicks. And I, you know, I, I think less of, of those people in terms of how they are going about their job. And so you, I, I, for me and Stu, we want to do this the right way. We don't want to be just salacious or anything like that. We want to do it the right way. Uh, and so that experience for me was kind of, it was nerve wracking because you want to ask the right questions, but I felt like it, I felt like it went well. I think I got a bit of a cheer from the crowd when I mentioned to Leon that, you know, the crowd's going to be behind him and everything. And, and again, that to me was just about being truthful as well, because the last time Leon was in London, he was booed and he was fighting Gunnar Nelson, an Icelandic fighter. And he was being booed because he was having a beef with Darren Till at the time. And so that, you know, I, I, I think those questions mean something about the mindset and the emotional kind of placing of these fighters at the time that they're going into the biggest fight in their careers. Uh, you know, where are you at going back to the place where you were booed by your home country only a few years ago? And this time round, everyone is shouting out headshot dead in, in like, uh, you know, in their, their way of supporting you, you know, so... Uh, yeah, it, uh, yeah, it, it was it was a fun thing to do. I'm giving you very long-winded answers. I'm sorry. No, but that's absolutely fine. The more you give me, the better. I mean, I'm really enjoying talking to you. I mean, you mentioned soccer right there. Another one of your talents there, because I think I think you scored a penalty, didn't you, that day? I scored the winning penalty in soccer aid, but honest to God, like it was me and Lee Mack were like the worst players on that team. <laughs> so how I scored that penalty and got the praise, I don't know. But uh, but yeah, we, like I I'm I've never been very good at football. I just I think got quite fortunate with that penalty. I mean, fantastic stuff. I I always watch soccer and Lee Mack is probably the worst penalty taker I've ever seen. So it was good to eventually see him get get one yeah. over the line. But He's obviously, such a nice guy, Lee, as well. Yeah, I can imagine. But we've had this amazing run in MMA right at the moment. We had Bisping, who was the pioneer, who was just absolutely sensational. Yeah. We had Leon Edwards come through that headshot dead, fantastic. Tom Aspinall. Has just yeah. picked up the championship belt. Tom Aspinall, John Jones, right now, who's your money on? If I had to pick, it's very hard to go against John Jones, but uh, but I would. I ge I genuinely believe Tom Aspinall has got all of the attributes to deal with John Jones. I think that his grappling and, and BJJ black belt and all that kind of stuff could give John problems. I mean, look. You never know. John Jones is a phenomenal wrestler. Could Tom Aspinall keep this fight on the feet? And could Tom Aspinall, if he was taken down, do something off his back to, to trouble John Jones? I don't know. We, we, that's, that's the whole point. That's the beauty of, of, of MMA in general, I think, is that there's rather than boxing, where you've just got those two weapons, there's so many facets to the game in MMA that whenever you're looking at a fight, usually... There's multiple questions that need to be answered and the fight could go in so many different directions. And even fights where you think it is a foregone conclusion, looking back at 2023, we've had a few of those. We've had Alexa Grasso, Valentina Shevchenko. We've had Sean Strickland and Israel Adesanya, where you're going into that fight going, it's not about who wins, it's about when they do it. And then all of a sudden, the whole thing flips and you're like, what am I watching? What's what? How the hell has Sean Strickland just outpointed Israel Adesanya? It's absolutely amazing, and I think this sport 
because of the fact that there's takedowns, kicks, elbows, knees, you know, you don't have to go to the head. You've got the body, you've got the legs, you've got the takedowns, you've got the submissions. There's so many facets to it. And that's what makes it so exciting for me that you've got so many different ways that a fight can end at the drop of a hat. Yeah, that's definitely the beauty of MMA. But I've got to throw in one in between us question for you. Go we know that Neil can fight because we've watched him on the field trip beating a fish to death. So we know he's got the minerals in the locker, right? Yeah. But if you could stick him in the cage with any MMA fighter of your choice, who would it be? Um, well, obviously, I've got a very soft spot for Neil. I don't want to see Neil get smashed up, <laughs> even though he absolutely would. I think Neil would maybe have to, like, cut a lot of weight but be a lot taller than his opponents and be rangy. So I, I'd, I'd like to see him against like a short, stocky guy that, uh, I don't know, maybe he'd make like, maybe he could cut down to like bantamweight and fight, <laughs> I don't know, like a, a Ricky Simone or <laughs> someone, someone like, I've interviewed Ricky, he's a lovely guy. This is not me fighting Ricky, this is Neil. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I don't know, some kind of short, stocky wrestler, um, Marab, Marab, someone short, Marab Billy. <laughs> He can try and stay away from him and use that range and just try and keep him at bay with his long limbs. I mean, the next time I'm speaking to Dana White, I will put that to him and see if we can get that fight over the line. But, Blake, it's been that, an absolute By the way, pleasure. just to say, that is a fictional character fighting Morale, <laughs> not me. <laughs> I'll make sure he knows that and there's no confusion because I don't want you being chucked into the cage against your will because that would be, as a journalist, probably a bit of a mistake on my part. Yeah, I mean, I'm a 38-year-old man. Anything like that is worth <laughs> me now. But Blake, a genuine pleasure speaking to you. I love MMA, so this has been an absolute pleasure. Obviously, you're going to do amazing things with the podcast. I think the studio looks tremendous. The Michael Venom Page episode is just a sign of things to come. But before I let you go, is there anything else that you would like to add? Anything you're looking forward to in the world of MMA? And just any closing remarks? No, just, I mean, try and follow the MMA Fan Show if you can on YouTube and on the socials. We're, we're really up in the, the social media game at the moment. We've got someone helping us out with that. So we'll be keeping up to date on all like fight announcements and obviously uh, releasing episodes as well. We've got our UFC Austin preview out now and the uh, uh, UFC Austin post show will be coming up next week along with some interviews with other fighters as well. Uh, and we are dipping a toe into boxing as well. We've just had uh, the Romford Bull, Johnny Fisher, on the uh, show as well, who's 10 and 0, uh, could be uh, a prospect to follow in the world of boxing. We had him on the show as well. So, you know, we're trying different things and we're hoping that people uh, enjoy our, our little show. I'll tell you what, Rob, absolutely brilliant to get Blake on the show. I thought he was fantastic. And I've got a couple of follow up questions after that. First things first, Rob, when you were a teenager, were you like the in between us? It's, it's, a, it's a legendary. Um sitcom in it really and all kind of like people growing up in that generation james like myself uh were you could pick a character couldn't you um you know who you your you styled yourself on uh and to hear him sort of doing uh great things after his initial fame with the in-between shows that you know you might have different careers and that with this mma podcast that he's got james you know that's another opportunity for him to to do something he loves and to make a difference for people alive. Yeah, I completely agree, Rob. It's interesting. You sort of touched on it a little bit there, but actors often say that they get pigeonholed and that they're ever referred to as Rom Roll, for example, for Blake. It could be Neil. 
from the in-betweeners. But no, he's come out of that comfort zone. He's doing something completely different. And it's amazing to see him following this passion. It is. It is, James. And that, and that is what it inspires everybody, that you're not all stuck in one uh, journey. You know, a career, people have two and three and four careers in their lifetime. And it's it's important that, you know, you, you look at Blake and what he, what he achieved and what he's going to achieve now and think that might help you, you know, go into a different career and, and enjoy yourself as well. Yeah, really interesting stuff from Blake. And I can't wait to see how this podcast goes from second interview. This woman has played professional football in Italy. She is now competing in the street-style World Championships in Belgium this week. She's got 16 Guinness World Records. She's played alongside Diego Maradona. So without further ado, here's Laura Bernardo. Right, okay, thank you very much for giving me some time today, Laura. It's really appreciated. You're a fantastically talented woman. I've watched you for a long time playing this sort of sport. It's fantastic to watch you, but I want to delve a little bit deeper into your career. I know you've done fantastic things. We've got the Street Style Championship coming up, but going back a little bit, I was looking through your bio. You have to tell me a little bit about Cirque du Soleil because that must have been a crazy part of your life, right? Yeah, it was It was an amazing experience. I have to say that it really marked me and it taught me so much in terms of being, you know, an artist and an athlete and on a personal level. Um, I was four years with them. I did the whole creation of the show and it was a rewarding experience where you got to take freestyle in different parts, different cities and and people got to see what this sport is. So it was Definitely a lot of fun. <laughs> it's been amazing to see your journey because you've gone all over the world, but things started for you all the way back in Venezuela. Can you tell me a little bit about your early memories, what growing up was like for you? Yeah, so well, I grew up in Venezuela until I was 10, and that time I did not play soccer or had anything or football, whichever way you want to call it. <laughs> Nowadays, it's kind of tricky which one to use. Anyways, um, I did gymnastics, I did other stuff, but nothing related with the ball. I discover women's football, soccer, that side of it, <laughs> uh, when I moved to the U.S. when I was 10. So then I start playing the game. And uh, when I moved to Italy, I played professional as well. And as I was recovering from an injury, that's when I discovered freestyle through my brother that would watch famous Ronaldinho Yoga Bonito commercials. And then fate, life, God, whichever way we want to call it, for me is God, um, I met a freestyler randomly. Uh, where my brother was doing his preseason, uh, you know, uh, trainings, and he introduced me to more freestylers, and then that's how freestyle became my life. You mentioned your religion a little bit there. Could you tell me about that in some more depth? When you're playing in these competitions, is that a big part of of how you perform so well? Um, meaning like the freestyle competitions, or do the competitions? Yeah. Well, I think it's just also a matter of so many years doing it um you kind of get used to it and you kind of build that experience um but every competition is different and every competition is like a new one so you still get emotions nervous and all that kind of stuff because it's never the same you mentioned Ronaldinho a little bit there obviously an incredibly skillful player would you say he was an inspiration to you and are there any other people in the freestyle world that really stand out to you yeah of course because you think he was one of the first or that he was the first player or one of the first that really um, kind of helped give a platform to freestyle by him himself doing a couple of tricks and, and having that playfulness and also just 
when other free, I've seen other free sellers meet him. I haven't yet. Hopefully one day. <laughs> um, it's just that openness to to what we do because he understands, you know, what what it means to know how to control of all the way that a free seller does. I mean, Ronaldinho, it's fantastic that he served as somewhat of an inspiration to you. And I hope that you get to meet him one day. But one person you have met, Diego Maradona, I've seen it on your Instagram, you playing with him. Tell me what that experience was like, because that must have been absolutely crazy. I was nervous. <laughs> <laughs> I had never been so nervous in my life, like juggling the ball with him. Um, because one of the reasons why I, I cured so much juggling and technique was because seeing him, like... I started juggling a tennis ball because he would juggle a tennis ball, you know? Um, so it's a big, he was a big inspiration. And, you know, to have him face to face is something that I, times I look at that video, I was like, I, I just, it, it's too good to be true, you know? It's, <laughs> um, but it's, it was rewarding because um, he was really nice. He wasn't like a snob or anything. He was down to play with me to do some kickups. Um, and as you see in the video, he gives me a hug. Like I'm just this girl asking him to juggle with him and he's super open about it. So it was really nice. It felt good. And then you roll through the years. It's crazy because this all started in America when you were 10 years old in Florida. And now you're in a position where you've not just won one Guinness World Record. I think you've got 15, which is the most of any Venezuelan in history. Tell me all about that. Um. That is also something that I guess fate. <laughs> um, I started with one back in 2011. I was invited to a TV show in Italy where it's dedicated to people breaking records. And I built a great relationship with the Guinness World Record team. They're, they are truly amazing. And they've supported me throughout my entire career, inviting me to always do a new Guinness World Record. And fast forward 12 years, I don't know how I have 15. It's been a blessing that they've always um, reached out to do new records and they've invited me to keep doing records. And I really, I'm really grateful for it because it's a way of, you know, breaking barriers that then other girls can break. Because if you see that I do it, then maybe they will want to do it. So it's, it's quite, um, it's quite rewarding because it gives you that opportunity to somehow reach people and be like, if I can do this, you can do it too. I mean, it's great watching you play because it's mesmerizing seeing you with the ball at your feet. You've done so many amazing things. And one trick in particular that stands out is the clipper. I mean, I watch that and think, how on earth do you even manage it? So tell me what the tricks are for, for perfecting that skill. Oh, well, it is my favorite trick. Um, honestly, the clipper, it's all about body position and tempo um it's kind of hard like I, it, it, when we meet I'll teach you I'll give you the tips like live so you can understand it but it's really understanding how to move your body so that you can place your foot straight under the ball because you want the ball to go up and down and then that momentum where you cushion the ball and bring it back up so it's really it's really knowing how to square yourself up well, I can't wait to meet you in person and try and perfect that. I can't guarantee I'll do it anywhere near as good as you do it, but I'll certainly try and be the perfect student for you. But obviously, this is going to take place in Brussels, in Belgium. It's a tournament I think we're all looking forward to. Tell me what fans have to look forward to from you. Um, I think it's just really um, try to enjoy the moment of what you're seeing on stage. Um, it's going to be probably hard to understand what we're doing with our bodies. It's quite amazing. But let yourself, like, the fans should let themselves guide themselves with the emotions and the vibes that they feel. 
Uh, the atmosphere, I'm sure, is going to be amazing. There's always a great amount of people there that really push you. Um, uh, so it's it's really all about the vibe. Really enjoy the vibe. And is there any one thing in particular that you're most excited for? Um, I guess just being on stage again. You know, I've been doing this competition for since the very first one. You know, so it's quite rewarding to see that. It all started off without girls, and now there's girls in the competition. So it's just, I'm excited to be on that stage again. You know, it's um, it's been many years. It's very fun, and it's a great opportunity to somehow inspire someone that maybe will be out there watching, be like, hey, I would like to do this sport, or wow, those girls do that really good. Maybe I can pick up this other activity that I thought I couldn't do it. So, yeah, I think really wish people, it reaches people. Yeah, I certainly think watching you play will be fantastic for all the girls in the crowd. But I've got to ask you while you're there, because Belgium is famous for its waffles. Are you going to try one? Of course. <laughs> That's the <a big laughs> thing I'm doing. I already told a couple of the girls, like, as soon as we get there, we're going for be- um, Belgian waffles. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Laura. It's been an absolute privilege speaking to you. I can't wait to meet you there and learn the clipper, as hard as that might be. But before <laughs> I let you go, is there anything else that you would like to add? Well, um, I guess take advantage that if, of anyone that might be watching this to really just follow your dreams. If there's something that you really want to try and do, put your mind, your heart to it. Um, don't let anyone tell you you can't do it, whether because you're a boy or a girl or blue or purple, whatever you, whatever <laughs> you want to be. Uh, if, there's a, if there's something true in your heart that you want to do, just go out for it, fight for it, work hard, and, and you'll see you'll achieve it. Yeah, great somebody like that on the show Rob I mentioned that she's playing in Belgium in the world championships the freestyle football and there's been players like Ronaldinho who've sort of popularized that market were you ever good at tricks Rob I wasn't very good at tricks James no I was uh, an out and out finisher me a fox in the box when I was uh, <laughs> when I was uh, playing street football in the the mean streets of Salford back in their glory days and uh, yeah you know it's great obviously that people can get involved in this kind of thing obviously lots of people still want still hold dreams of becoming professional um you know footballers but to reach such a high level at street football you know is is a great thing and uh you know it sounded really great this interview i mean i was watching her doing some keepy uppies rob and she's magnificent i don't think i'd be able to uh, to do that and it goes without saying i'm nowhere near in the finishing caliber that you are hmm. i mean laura has promised to try and teach me one of her tricks at some point. Do you give me any hope of being able to uh, to match her? Well, I think this this kind of thing, James, is when you do tricks at street level, you've got to think of yourself as a dancer in Swan Lake. You've got to have grace. You've got to have <laughs> style. You've got to have power. You've got all that. And then be able to juggle a ball as well. You'll go a long way. I think you're right, Rob. The only issue is I'm not so much uh, Swan Lake as I am Bambi on ice. <laughs> so um, I'm going to try my best, but I think I might, I might fall short in Belgium, unfortunately. But I'm going to take your words of advice on board and try and apply that when I play a bit of street football. Well, I try and do some some tricks at the Street Tower Championships in Brussels this week. But now it's time to move on, Rob, because there are massive things going on in the world of rugby. And I know that you've been following it very closely. So let's move on to that sport now. So, Rob, first things first. Christmas is coming. Salford unveiled their new kits for 2024. What thoughts have you got on it? Yeah, new kit out for the Salford Red 
Devils, made by VX3. Lovely plain design. The home shirt is is red. Uh, the away shirt is black. A lot of people like the fact that it's it's pure red. Different designs all over the you know through the years have different styles. And for me as a traditional fan, I like the fact that it's it's all plain one colour. It's also a hat tip to uh, the legendary team of 1933-34, the, the team that went to France and took on uh, six teams in France, uh, beating them all under, under Lance Todd and were nicknamed by the French press Les Diables Rouge, which is the Red Devils, which was Sofa's nickname um, at the time. I think it's very important as well that the club in the promo used both men and the women's uh, team uh, members uh, to pr- you know to promote uh, the sport and the, the new kits i think it's great that you know the club are using both the men and the women to promote the 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 the, the gear and and it's fantastic obviously that the fans are getting involved purchasing the shirt because it brings more money into the coppers obviously with it being the off-season and, and no games being played, James, it's so important that the club have managed to get this merchandise out, out and, and the fans go and buy it because it keeps the club going over the off-season because, obviously, games don't start till February, so they need to make sure there's a flow of cash in the club to keep them going, ready for the start of 2024. I mean, they most certainly do, Rob. You touched on that six games in France, mm. six victories, and I know that you followed Salford over to France before against Catalan, which must have been fantastic for you. But could you imagine being a fan, following them then and getting six victories? Yeah, especially in 1933 and 34, James. It's a long way to go. I think they went on a boat, um, travelled over to France, and went to Paris, had like a little sort of party dinner, uh, and then sort of went around France playing, you know, different teams. And, you know, it's they weren't on planes, James. They were on like a... You know, horse and cart, I presume, uh, to get into places, and uh, it's it shows the the manner of the team, uh, the the great Gus Risman and uh, and players like that. Uh, you know, showing the, the French public what they were all about, and so were a big name in in thirty three thirty four. They they were like the the top of the 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 rugby league at that point, and you know they were the beacon of of. of hope in, in the next uh, generation of, of rugby league and uh, they did a good job they went to France and you know created this nickname for themselves the Adab Rouge and uh, yeah good times came from it they most certainly did Rob and we've spoken about the kit and the elements you like about it mm. are you going to purchase this and do you get a kit every single year uh, I do get a kit uh, every year James I think it's important that the club get them get the money from the merch to keep them going. Like I said, there's different ones that have that have like, I've liked, and there's different ones that I haven't liked. Uh, last year's one was good. Uh, I remember uh, two two thousand was was like the Arsenal um, kit of of red uh, chest and white sleeves. That was a good one as well. Um, but yeah, it, it, I suppose not everyone will be happy, will they? But it's certainly a, a an eight out of ten for me. I mean, you were taking us on uh, memory lane there a little bit, Rob. Is mm. there one kit in particular that stands out as your favourite sulfur kit of all time? I think uh, the 2023, uh, no, 2003 one, uh, we've clinched the pinch in, and Clifford Beverly, the one we got promoted in, uh, was like a red, all red one. 
was really good. You know, iconic ones that you've, you've won things in and, and been promoted in. Uh, the grand final one um, was, another, was a good one in, in 2019. Uh, kind of the, the stripe away shirt, the red stripe across the chest. Um, yeah, they're all iconic when you when you get into these finals and winning things. And uh, yeah, I do have fond memories of a few of them. I can imagine, Rob. And there's been an update regarding the lease for the stadium. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, update is the club are still working with the council and other parties involved to get a deal done. Um, they are hoping the deal will be done by the beginning of January in 2024. We wait and see. Hopefully, all parties can come together and, and, a, and a decision can be made because the club need a base to play from. Um, with the IMG coming in, it's important that it is the uh, the Salford City Stadium, um, and you're hoping that Paul King can get the deal done with the council and Peel and Sale and all the other parties that are involved. We cross our fingers. The Salford the people of Salford need a team in the city to inspire, um, and you're hoping that a deal can be done and they can do that. I mean, are you expecting the deal to be done, Rob? Quite sure. I am. I am because because obviously you know we, we talk about you know, why the stadium was built and it's it's a Salford Stadium which supports a professional uh, team in the city which which gives inspiration to the people who live in the city. So it's so important that, you know, Salford play in the city. Swinton Lions who moved out of Station Road 20, 30 years ago now, never really recovered when they moved to Bury. Um and they are in sale now and their support is growing. Um, but I suppose if they had the chance again, they would never have left. So lessons will be learnt from that if Salford have to go somewhere else. Um, but you're hoping that the deal can be done with the council uh, and Salford can play at the Salford Stadium for next year and beyond. I think everybody is hoping for that, Rob. So let's keep our fingers crossed. But Swinton Lions Championship fixtures have been announced. Can you give us a bit of a breakdown on them? Yeah, it's going to be a tough season for Swinton Lions. Alan Kershaw, the new head coach, um, his charges will start away from home at Whitehaven, which is always a tough place to go. Uh, their final fixture of the season will be Bradford away. Uh, Alan Kershaw has brought in Paul Anderson and Darren Abraham, assistant coaches. And they're obviously building a team there that needs to be competing every week. Obviously, with the championship, you've got a range of teams who are professional to teams that you know aren't professional. So Swinton need to be aiming top of the middle, maybe to to to, to you know compete. But it's going to be tough. They they brought in a few new faces, uh, and you're kind of hoping that they can uh, kick on uh, from last year because obviously they did struggle struggle towards the bottom. They did a bit of a, a great escape act. Uh, to you know, to keep their championship status, uh, and you're hoping that they can build on that for this season. Where are you expecting them to finish, Rob? Have you have any early predictions for me? I'm thinking maybe thinking eighth. Maybe that'd be a good position for them, um, but it's not going to be easy, uh, and you kind of hoping they can dig in and find a way. Yeah, you most certainly are, Rob. And the 1895 Cup Group has been announced. Is there anything you can tell us about that? Yeah, fixture uh, in in that they will play Crusaders and Witness. Um, seven teams go through to the 
the next round. Um, seven groups, the leaders, the winners of the seven, plus the best runner-up go through to, them to, to a knockout competition. It's going to be tough. Witness are a good side. Crusaders are a good side. But it's kind of the early season competition. So Swinton may use it as pre-season uh, to, to get them firing for the championship. Most certainly, Rob. I can't wait for this upcoming season. I think we're all looking forward to it. But now it's time to talk boxing, and I believe you've got some questions for me. Yes, boxing. It's been a dramatic week in boxing with the British Boxing Board of Control refusing to sanction the fight between Chris Eubank Jr. and Conor Ben. What do you think, James? Firstly, Rob, I completely agree with the decision. I don't believe Conor Ben has gone through the due process after failing a drug test for a performance-enhancing substance which boosts testosterone and masks other banned substances. I don't believe he should be allowed to fight Chris Eubank Jr. I think the evidence is strongly pointing in favour of him having taken intentionally a drug due to the fact that this pill that he is believed to have ingested is a woman's fertility drug usually. So the idea of that ending up in a man's system is unlikely, to say the least. I believe that Conor Ben, obviously there's a lot of money on the table with him, uh, but for me, he he really ought not to fight in the distant future. It'd be great to see him get a ban. I don't think that will happen. Eddie Hearn has made that very uh, very much a priority to guarantee that he doesn't get one. Chris Eubank Jr. obviously wants the fight. It's a big money fight. He wants the grudge match to happen. However, there's a stumbling block in the way right now. How's Eddie Hearn going to get over that? That's what we're going to have to wait and see and find out. So you do you think the fight will happen? Eddie Hearn was speaking very fondly today about the Professional Boxers Association, the PBA, who have grown to notoriety for sanctioning these YouTube fights, Rob, on the big stage. So your likes of your KSI Tommy Fury, for example. Hearn giving them such a glowing report indicates to me that he's going to try and sanction the bout via the PBA. So that would be my prediction. Eddie Hearn is a man who cares deeply about money. He will want to make sure that fight happens because regardless of the failed drug tests, fans will still turn up. You know, to a casual market, it's arguably even bigger now because Ben, regardless of being Hearn's fighter or not, has become the villain. Everybody wants to see Eubank beat him and therefore they will tune in and watch the bout. So I think Hearn's going to make sure it happens and I think he'll probably go down the PBA route. Mm. There was a big shock in Ireland on Saturday night. Talk us through that. There was Michael Conlon making his homecoming against Jordan Gill. After losing via quite a punishing knockout in his last fight for the IBF World Championship, I think the whole of Belfast was hoping he'd bounce back. He'd pick up a big win over Jordan Gill. Not an easy opponent by any stretch of the imagination, but also not world level. And that's the operation at uh, the level that Michael Conlon wants to be operating at. And the fact that he's fallen short now quite devastatingly. He was dropped and then ultimately stopped inside just seven rounds by Gill, who is not necessarily the world's biggest puncher. It doesn't look good on Conlon. This is a man who turned over from the Olympics, who was expected to win multiple world honours, and he's just not quite taken to the pro game, which is a massive shame for him. But is it the end of the road? It could well be, but massive win for Jordan Gill, who has come through so much adversity and to win the fight after a crushing knock at Takiko Martinez, that was massive for him. Hmm. What did you make of Gordon, Jordan Gill's post-match speech? The man was suicidal. The man had depression. He has clearly been through the well, physically, mentally. So the fact that he was able to come through this to pick up what is now the biggest win of his career, I think is absolutely massive for him. 
I'm thrilled for him. I hope that he gets big, big opportunities off the back of this. He certainly deserves them. And for anybody struggling, I think he's a shining example of what grit and determination can do. You can always come back if you're in a dark place. And I think the fact that he was open about that, he was vulnerable with his emotions. I think it's exceptional, especially for a sport like boxing, where you've got these hard men who aren't necessarily renowned for speaking about their emotions. I think Jordan Gill did something very special on Saturday night. Should Michael Conlon retire? I'm not a one who thinks that losses define a fighter and that they should retire off one or two losses. However, if you're getting knocked out in these losses, you've got to start thinking about your health. Conlon has been badly, badly knocked out twice by Lee Wood and by Josecito Lopez. And now he's been badly beaten up by somebody who in the prime of his career would be below him. For me, Michael Conlon's got to start thinking about his health. I know he wants to be a world champion, and I know he has the talent on paper to do that, but he's lacking the punching power that wasn't requisite in the amateurs. He didn't need it then. He does need it now. I don't think he's ever going to achieve what people thought he was going to achieve, and that's sad because the talent is there. But without that thunder power and the fact that his chin's now beginning to fade... For me, Michael Conlon should look at calling it a day after what has been an exceptional career in which he was robbed, really, of winning an Olympic medal. And that is a massive shame. But for me, it's coming towards the end for Michael Conlon. Mm. Tyrone McKenna has called it a day. day. What has uh, his legacy now? What has he left? Tyrone McKenna is a man who would get in with anybody in any corner of the world. Some fighters say that they do that sort of thing. Tyrone McKenna really does do it. I think he's a legend of Irish boxing, not necessarily of the level of, you know, a Frampton or a Collins or somebody like that, or even a Katie Taylor. But I think that he's done fantastic things in the sport. You know, when you look at a bill and you see Tyron McKenna on there, that he's going to give you some fireworks. He was so often the co-main event. He was a likable guy. He sold tickets. He always wore his heart and his shield. And, you know, he fell short at world level when he was taking on the likes of Regish Progray and people like that. But I always think that Taron McKenna was a good, honest bloke. He put in a hard shift. He won the hearts of the fans. And I think he'll be remembered for a long time on the Irish circuit. Yeah. Ryan Garcia produced a big performance in the US over the weekend. Talk us through that. He did, and he needed it after going toe-to-toe with Bernard Hopkins and Oscar De La Hoya at the press conference. Wow, that was fiery. But Ryan Garcia, a great victory. It's good to see him back in action. There are fights out there for him. I know he wants Javonta Davis. For me, I don't think we need to see that rematch. But, you know, there's Devin Haney out there. There's Teofimo Lopez out there. There's other big fights. So, yeah, I think Ryan Garcia is more than in the mix. He's a big, big name. He has a massive following on Instagram. He brings in that social media generation. So I can't wait to see Ryan Garcia back in action. Yeah, final boxing question. There's been a big fight confirmed uh, for Boxing Day. Tell us about that. There is, Rob. Nuya Anoyui versus Marlon Tapalas for the undisputed Bantamweight Championships of the World, or Super Bantamweight Championships of the World, should I say. It's a fight that I think we're all looking forward to. It's a real cracker. Tapalas, a great, great fighter. Gritty has works his way up the hard way. So it's glad to see him in such a big occasion. But Anoyui, you can't look past him. A crushing punisher. A man who's now trying to become an undisputed champion in two weight divisions. An exceptional fighter. A devastating puncher. And a man who's knocking on the door at that pound for pound number one position. And, you know, Terence Crawford isn't getting any younger when he retires. I think no, Anoyui will take that mantle. But Rob, for me... I've always wanted to watch boxing on Boxing Day. It's finally mm. happening. Fantastic stuff. It is. I think with with, with boxing, it's a, it should be around the world all year kind of sport because these boxers can go to different countries at different times of year 
and there's always people who want to watch it. So I can't quite understand why it's never been Boxing Day, really. I suppose the it'll be the build-up of training and, and not being able to, to eat the right stuff around, sat around the, the table at Christmas Day if you're fighting on Boxing Day, but shows that the, the modern world has caught up and... and Every every day now is is an ability is is the opportunity to to, to have a fight on box. Yeah, yeah, you're right, Rob. I mean, Rocky had a fight on Christmas Day, I believe, in one of the films, <laughs> and now No U N O U E is bringing the spectacle, as you say, around the world. He's filling out arenas in Japan, and I'm so happy to see it. I remember Sky Sports used to put a Boxing Day program on, and you know, you get up after Christmas Day, and I don't know what your Boxing Day sort of routine is, Rob, but I have an older brother who typically comes over, and we used to watch that show put on and have a curry, but now we can watch an actual fight, so I'm getting really stuck into this. Yeah, my Boxing Day usually go in to watch a local football team, Salford City, Man United, Burnley, different ones, different years, and uh, that was normally my Boxing Day um, tradition, um, but yeah, I suppose people have different different uh, traditions to look forward to, don't they? Yeah, they most certainly do, Rob. I mean, you like going to watch your football, and I think the world is focused on football right now with the announcement of the groups for Euro twenty twenty four. And Rob, I think we've got to go through these, haven't we? So let, let, let's analyze them. I mean, Group <laughs> A, Scotland. Hungary, Switzerland, and those two teams, Hungary, Switzerland, they're winnable for Scotland, perhaps. I mean, they'll probably enter the underdogs, but they've also got to take on Germany. And wow, that's a thrilling game. Yeah, it's going to be tough for, for Scotland. Obviously, you know, qualifying for a major tournament, uh, you've got to beat the best, haven't you, if you want to go through. I know that the Scottish fans will be there in, in big numbers to, to support uh, the Scottish national team. And it's an opportunity for them if, if they can get through that group. Uh, who knows what might happen? I mean, do you think they can beat Hungary and Switzerland? I do. I think I think they can beat both of them teams. I think it's best they're playing well. Uh, you know, with, with the team they've got, McTominay. You know, he's scoring goals for him. Um, in, in very fine margins, isn't he, James? At the very top level, and Scotland get a bit lucky with injuries and, and take the chances. You can see him progressing. Yeah, you can, Rob. I mean, they've got a tough game there in Germany. I think they've played Germany previously in a big European fixture. I think, what year was it where they would just narrowly missed out on nicking a point against Germany? I can't remember, but perhaps you will. Do you expect them to win this one or do you expect them to take a bit of a hiding? Well, difficult, isn't it? You've got to, you've got to hope that they find a way um, of, of maturing through the competition. Um, and, you know... We'll have to wait and see, James. Football's a funny, a funny old game, and it it could be great. It could be on top of the world, and then you know, ten minutes later, you know, you're at you know the lowest ebb. So we'll see how it plays out for them. And then in Group B, for me, it is the group of death, Rob. Mm. And I feel so sorry for Albania because I don't think they have much chance of picking up a point here because they're joined alongside by Italy, Croatia, and Spain. Yeah, it's going to be. Tif- difficult for them. Spain are, are a top team, uh, but like I say, with these special kind of tournaments, it's it's it's, it's sometimes it just comes down to you know fitness at the time. I know we've got sort of twelve, is it sort of six months? We don't know who's going to be fit and in form, uh, but yeah, it's going to be a fantastic occasion for everyone. It will, Rob, and obviously, there's three teams there that are all candidates to win the whole thing. 
I know how in the European Championships now a couple of the third place teams still go through. But let's look at this from an old school perspective, right? We're assuming that Albania are probably heading home. But if you had to pick two teams to advance out of Italy, Croatia and Spain, which two would you pick and who would be going home? Uh, well, Italy didn't qualify for the last tournament, did they? I don't think. Um, European champions beat us, didn't they, uh, in England. So they'll be looking to, 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 to really compete. Spain are a good side. Croatia are always dark horses when it comes to competitions. So you're thinking maybe Italy-Croatia to get through. Italy-Croatia. Wow, we're saying goodbye to the Spaniards. And hopefully we'll be saying goodbye to a number of teams in this group, Rob, because England are in it. They are joined by Serbia, Denmark, Slovenia. For me, this strikes me as we're going to get maybe 1-0 wins over Serbia and Slovenia, probably a 0-0 draw against Denmark and then advance to the next round of the competition and then probably go out in the next round after that. Well, I remember that growing up as an England fan, we'd, ne we'd never make it through uh, to, to the later stages. So really it's it's a difficult group to get through if you're an England supporter they'll probably win the first one draw the next one and then they'll have to beat the last team to get through but we'll have to wait and see it's it's interesting it's Gareth Southgate he's got a, he's got a good squad there um and you're hoping that you won't be hearted by the, the ghosts of uh, of teams failing before and then we look at group D and uh, now for the rest of these groups, there are one team short. So we'll get on to these playoff games in a minute. Yeah. Well, let's look at the first three teams in the group in Group D. The Netherlands, Austria and France. And again, this is a candidate for the group of death as well. Mm. I know France had a very good team, uh, probably one of the best in Europe. Netherlands have been out of the the main um sort of competition of the last few seasons. They've found a way back in. Uh, they've got, you know, some good players in there. Um, Austria always difficult always a team you've got you can't underestimate but I think in France and Holland to go through and you're looking at them being joined by another potential heavy hitter Rob because path A we've got a little tournament here you'd mm. expect Poland to beat Estonia yeah. you'd expect Wales to beat Finland who's going to bag that final place in the group is it going to be Poland well, or is it going to be Wales it's going to be difficult obviously Wales Without Gareth Bale, um, have they have they got enough in the squad to reach the reach the the finals of the European Championships? And it's going to be tough for him. Um, do I see him beating Poland? Poland Lewandowski. They've got some good players as well. Uh, it will be tough. Uh, we'd hope that Wales can get a result, but there's no there's no uh, guarantee on that. There isn't. And then let's have a look at Group E. Belgium, Slovakia, Romania. And I think everybody in that group is going to be terrified of Belgium. Mm. Belgium always kind of underperformed, really. Lots of good players in that in that squad. Um, I know, obviously, I think it's Martinez lost his job uh, in, in the, after the last uh, World Cup failure there. Um, they'll be looking to, to, to fix that. Uh, the Belgium golden generation need to win something. Um, to you know, inspire it and say that they had they had a great team and they have failed. So we'll have to see what happens there. We will, Rob. And then the other four teams competing for a place in that group: Israel, Iceland, Bosnia, and Ukraine. Which one's going to nick the final place? 
Israel, Bosnia, mm, Bosnia. I think I think they'll they'll get that enough to get through that group. Yeah, I think I think so, Rob. I think they'll be the final team slotting into Group E. Let's look at the final group now. We've got another playoff winner who will be featuring in that. But the other three teams, again, a tough, tough group, this one. We've got Turkey, Portugal and the Czech Republic. Turkey and Czech Republic are the two teams there, James, with a minute to go. You've got to think that they might be the ones to progress. But in them in them groups, anyone can, can, can get through. They string a couple of wins together, they're through to the next round, aren't they? They are, Rob, and they'll be joined by either Georgia, Luxembourg, Greece or Kazakhstan as the final team in that group. To conclude us, Rob, who's making it? I've got a feeling, James, it'll be Greece to go through there. Um, Georgia and Luxembourg, I don't think have enough to to qualify for the next uh, stage. Uh, and I do feel that Greece, Greece will get through Um but I say we'll be talking about on the sports zone uh, with 20 seconds to go, James. It'll be exciting. Yeah, it most certainly will be, Rob. I can't wait for this championship. And, you know, some people doubt Gareth Southgate. But for me, Rob, I hope he's the man to do the job. Yeah, we all, we're all back him uh, and it'll be exciting. Big thanks for joining us on the sports zone on Salford City Radio. And we'll see you soon uh, for more Salford Sporting Chat. Don't forget you can listen on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. And we'll see you soon for more Salford Chat on your Salford City Radio.